I'm Joseph. And I'm Nick. And this is Fish Jelly. Mm-hmm. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Okay. It's Hurricane Hillary. You know, let the rain fall down and set me free. <laughs> so the storm is really named after Hillary Duff. I, I, oh my God, my mind. I've just been listening to Hillary Clinton jokes. but Yeah, but really it's about Hillary it's Duff. It's Hillary goddamn Duff. And that performance she did on the Today Show that I'm always laughing at. You, Do know, you know which one I'm talking about where no. she tries to dance? Oh, well, <laughs> I, uh, I, I think fondly of the time where she tried to get into it with Faye Dunaway. That's how I think of oh, Hillary over Duff. Bonnie and Clyde. That she wasn't, she wasn't even in that remake, that TV remake. She could never. Be Faye Dunaway? No. Well, or come for Faye Dunaway. That lady would eat her alive. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that's how Faye Dunaway stays youthful. <laughs> that's not a facelift. That's, the, that's <laughs> the blood of women under 30 she's consuming. Those are... Uh, what? Um, but it's currently raining pretty heavily. I understand it will get worse in a few hours. Oh. I can hear it in the background, so hopefully it's providing soothing ambient noise. Well, you know... We all have our time, so we'll see how this goes. Okay. <laughs> I think it's going to be fine. You're going to be okay. Since I never get what I want, we'll be fine. But um, people have reached out to uh, wish us well. So, In, During the quickening? <laughs> yeah, the, <laughs> the, the quickening of 2023. Um, it's just a wrinkle in time. But if this is our last podcast episode... Uh, thank you for listening. Oh, Jesus Christ. Come on uh, now. But now might be a good time to sponsor us on Spotify so you can do that too. <laughs> anyway, um, after I last... I don't know why anyone would want to invest in a dying... Uh, a, a dying, a dying star. A dying <laughs> empire. <laughs> well, if we die in the storm, the money... Um, uh, I'll leave it, I'll send the accountant an email to make sure that all of the money goes to the cat in her care. <laughs> she doesn't need much. You don't even like the she's cat. got, I, I don't, but I, I, I don't want her to suffer. Um, her death should be quick and painless, but well, she only, she's gotten used to IAM's brand adult food, like that one brand of IAM's that's adult chicken flavored. So she doesn't even like fancier food. Because we try to give her stuff sometimes, and she puts her nose up at it. So her food bill's pretty low. She likes lotion and ice cream in about equal She measure. likes, yeah, she really likes creamy things. I understand cats can't decipher sweet. So, yeah, she'll eat lotion. We don't feed her lotion, but if we put lotion on. She gets excited at She gets it. excited. She really likes, she knows the sound of, we generally eat ice cream out of ramekins. Mm -hmm. And she knows she knows that when the freezer opens, there's probably something in there she wants. It's very Catherine Keener in Get Out with the tea. It's a sunken place thing. Well, it sounds the same, too, because yeah. the metal spoon against the ceramic ramekin. And the minute she hears that, she's like very aggressively trying to get some. So you just have to provide her with fresh. Uh, she is accustomed to fresh running water now. Mm -hmm. So Well, I'm not dying today, so uh, she'll oh, be fine. Well. And let's move on. Uh, we received a lot of emails, messages, comments, DMs about my rant last week talking about people not calling us cute in response to that movie, Red, White, and Royal Blue. Uh huh. So, and there were very nice messages, like people apologizing for using that language. So I wanted to be clear, like, I think it's, 
it's okay. You know, I understand that it's a term of like endearment sure. and, and I think when it comes from people who I know would recognize me as like a whole adult human of life who deserves all the things, then it doesn't bother me. But I think I'm, it irritates me thinking about, cause then I was thinking, oh, like all the years working in a salon and seeing how a lot of women you know there are a lot of like conservative women who love the gays and like like oh fabulous and yes and work and all that but then it's like you go home to this like homophobic transphobic husband you mean madonna and guy Ritchie? <laughs> you know someone who is um who isn't supportive uh-huh. so to me it's like if you're going to support pol- politics and legislature that is against the people who you trivialize then shame on you mm-hmm. and don't call me cute and don't get all excited when it's time for you to do your hair and how you love our gab sash. And it's like, I'm not that kind of homosexual, mm-hmm. first of all. And like, I see right through you. So that is what bothers me more. But no, someone who I know respects me for who I am using language like you're so cute or adorable. That's fine. Cause I also use that language to describe people, but I'm not coming from that place of like trivial, trivializing you. I just think you're cute and adorable. But then I was thinking too, in re- regards to that movie, because we had talked about this, is like, if those two men, the lead actors, were ugly, y'all would not be acting this way. Oh, yeah, because we have a friend that came over. He's like, hey, did you guys like Red, White, and Royal Blue? I liked it. <laughs> like, oh, God. Uh, and you posed that question to him. And he's, if they were kind of regular looking or unattractive, unappealing men, would you watch it? And he said, no. <laughs> yeah so like let's be clear i think so then we also receive a lot of messages about the book and how the book differs and the book does it, it is more adult there are references to like um like there are quotes from like prominent th- this is what i understand i didn't read the book but like it, it does pay homage to like the gay liberation movement more and acknowledge certain themes and so it is more adult than what the movie turned out to be. And I'm not hating on them. I didn't say I hated the movie. It just review, wasn't for me. Our review isn't that negative. No, it's not. So that's why I'm so surprised that people are so mad. I, I did not shit on the movie. It's just not, like I said in the thing, I don't remember if it was the video or the podcast, but I'm not at that point in my life yet where two hot guys is enough to get me excited about something. Like, it just isn't. Uh in fact, I would like someone to remake that story and have it be two regular schmegular looking men. <laughs> that would probably appeal to me more. Okay, moving on. You know Britney Spears' um, husband filed for divorce? Uh-huh. How long were they married? Oh, gosh, I don't know. Three years or whatever. Oh, God, I, no, 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 not three years. They met in 2016, like on a music video. And then I think they were only married for like 14 months. Yeah, after her freedom. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Sorry. But, and then I was, so I was reading about like, of course they had a prenup and um, apparently he doesn't get anything um, except whatever gifts she gave him. Maybe an album deal, much like, what was, who's uh, Kevin, Federline? Kevin Federline had her remember? second husband. Cause she was married. Remember she got married to that guy that her childhood friend in that Vegas, annul- they got annulled, they yeah. got annulled. And then she married Kevin. So this remember, is her third husband. I remember being people being upset. Like we don't, cause at the time there were gays couldn't get married. And it's like, so Britney Spears can go get married in Las Vegas and have it annulled. How cute. Well, I mean, <clears throat> um, but no, remember Kevin Federline had that album 
Do you remember Popo's Popo Popo's Yeah, Ooh, that course. was bad. Of course. But who would have thought uh, 16, 17 years later that he'd be like the good dad, <laughs> the good responsible parent? People do grow. <laughs> they grow. But anyway, yesterday, Britney Spears posted an, something on Instagram to talk about the like the news. I'm going to read what she wrote. She's talking about the news. Well, like. Oh, her, of her. Of her. <clears throat> me, 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 me. Okay. And, you know, there are, uh, there, there, there is no syntax in this statement, but a lot of exclamation points. So here we go. As everyone knows, Hassam and I are no longer together. Six years is a long time to be with someone. So I'm a little shocked, but I'm not here to explain why, because it's honestly nobody's business, but I couldn't take the pain anymore. Honestly, in some sort of telepathic way, I have been receiving so many messages that melt my heart from friends. And I thank you. I've been playing it strong for way too long. And my Instagram may seem perfect, but it's far from reality. And I think we all know that. I would love to show my emotions and tears on how I really feel, but some reason I've always had to hide my weaknesses. If I wasn't my dad's strong soldier, I would be sent away to places to get fixed by doctors. But that's when I needed family the most. You're supposed to be loved unconditionally, not under conditions. So I will be as strong as I can and do my best, and I'm actually doing pretty damn good. Anyways, have a good day and don't forget to smile. So this is the caption under a video she posted yesterday of her dancing to Janet Jackson's 1993 hit, If, from the Janet Period album. I want to address the disrespect of this lady dancing to my girl, looking like she's having, I, I, don't, I don't know what she's doing. She's wearing black boots, a black like crop top with a, like a choker. I mean, it's giving these gum. itty bitty neon green squirrel covers and all her extensions just hanging out. And I just... Okay, the statement that really got me is she goes, my Instagram may seem perfect, but it's far from reality. Your Instagram, ma'am, makes me think that you're still in need of mental health services. I don't know what this is. <laughs> you could have written, read that statement, uh, and I would have said that her, someone needed help, uh, yeah. not knowing it was her. But uh, you showed me the video right before this, because I don't watch, I don't follow her, uh, but that was giving me gone with the wind fabulous in the kitchen and i could have done that better but uh it's just an odd mash of statements and elements and, and visuals visuals and why this song with that statement um right because the lyrics are if i was your girl the things i do to you but i'm not so i can't then i won't but if i was your girl <laughs> okay and this is not the first time she's posted a video looking crazy dancing to, to my Jenna, girl. Yeah. She danced to That's the Way Love Goes. Didn't and, she do Throb? No. Well, she's done Throb. Well, and then she did Scream. That one, that one was really awkward. But whatever. I'm not making fun of her dancing. I just I just think that this lady needs to chill and, and work on herself and stop posting this shit. And my immediate thought of one of her uh, teenage sons being like, mom, and then doing? yeah, like she has not like, big not, kids. Not that I, I think a woman has to adhere to what her children think, uh, a la all that heaven allows, but it's just like, why, why are you putting yourself out here like this? I don't this this is a, a mother woman in her 40s with two big kids and i just i don't know i and she doesn't look great that's the that's thing. the problem she looks for doesn't somebody want to help her work on a project or something i 
Yeah. Clearly, I, she wants to do something creatively. To I know me, people who like, listen to this podcast like Britney Spears. I'm not shitting on her. I'm more concerned for her. Like, to me, this is kind of alarming. Like, she just had a traumatic event happen, her spouse filing for divorce, and then she's out here looking crazy, dancing crazy, and then making a statement that clearly she wrote herself. I, I, th- there was a reason she wasn't allowed to be on Instagram for a long time. <laughs> well, it seems a little rambly. It, it's funny because there are things that seem effective in there about being loved unconditionally and love under condition and things that seem, whoa, what are we talking about? Your dad's little soldier that gets sent away to. <laughs> well, I don't know. I mean, I don't know this lady's business, but we know that she was in a conservatorship and that she had to seek mental health services. No, I know, so it's but... like, I mean, I don't know. I mean, you know, sometimes people need intervention and they need people to take control and it's like look at how people act to have other issues right if you try to tell someone anyone with any kind of addiction or illness like if you try to get them to stop they get upset so it's like well yeah you didn't like being sent away but what if you were really in a danger to yourself i don't know again i don't know this lady's business i'm just reacting to something she put on social media um that just seems alarming to me and um you know, and then of course it caught my attention because at first when I saw the video, I had the volume off. Mm-hmm. And then when I turned it up, just out of curiosity, I was like, oh, hell no. <laughs> Not my girl. Moving on. Do you know that movie, The Blind Side? Oh, God. I mean, I know you know, but. Uh, I hated that movie. Well, I hated it when it came out. The fact that she won an Oscar for it. Well, and this whole white savior thing always kind of like, like I'm always like skeptical, like now wait a minute. And a country singer in it? No. But I was reading about this and that family, the Tucci or Tushi. The Tuis. Tuis, is that their name? I think so. Do you know that when they adopted him, they placed him under a conservatorship? I did not know that. I just, because and he's that, still in that, he's uh-huh. still, he's, he is a 37 year old whole ass adult man. Uh-huh. So then now he's suing them for like, that he didn't get money from the movie, like that they lied about how much money they received because that, that family got a percentage of the the sales of the, mm-hmm. like, because I don't remember all the details. It doesn't matter. I just think it's interesting that there's this drama for this story that everyone thought was like, isn't this fa- like these people are angels to this little black boy and it's like they will give him his run him run this man his buddy that movie was so clearly w- w- whitewashed and calibrated for a certain audience that it that you should be immediately suspicious of stories like that immediately the because that, that family presented. that family released a statement talking about that they they use the word threaten and call his actions a shakedown mm. But and you know maybe per- pertaining to the people representing him, but it's like I have speaking of a conservatorship, like I, I wonder why he is. <laughs> Did they have this poor man sign something because he trusted them when he was but, but younger? You know, this is the problem with um, erasing pertinent elements to these stories that we put on the big screen as well. Like, why wasn't that part of the story? Because wow. they because they want it to be heartwarming and uplifting, and they want to brainwash us. <laughs> that is what it feels like to me. Uh, but, but yeah, I think it's funny. There's there. I saw that there were a call. People were saying Sandra Bullock should give her Oscar back, which I don't agree. She should have won that in the first place. But I to come on now. That's such a stupid thing to say. Sure. I mean, what an actor 
doesn't have any kind of ownership about what these people have done or do in reality. It's like, you know, Susan Hayward won an Oscar for playing that uh, woman on death row. I want to live. And it's actually Joseph Robinson's story. <laughs> I want to live with an exclamation point. I think Robert Wise directed that. That is, uh, I, I, I always have a fun time watching that movie, but I think during the making of it, Susan Hayward was gung ho about this woman's innocence. And then more facts came to light after she won her Oscar and she no longer believed that. Hmm. <laughs> well, moving on to more positive things, uh, I recently discovered a new show on Freebie called Tribunal Justice. Oh, yeah. This is a new show produced by uh, Judge Judy. Mm-hmm. You've watched a few episodes with me. Yeah, it's like a vortex that swirls you in. Mm-hmm. But it features three judges, and they all sort of work together to try a case. But it's uh, Judge uh, Patricia Domingo, Judge Tanya Acker, and Judge Adam Levy. And Adam Levy is, I believe, Judge Judy's son in real life. And then I know Judge Domingo and Judge Acker were on another judge show together, mm-hmm. our courtroom show together. Uh, I really enjoy it. Mm-hmm. It's definitely like trash because these judges are on, uh, well, specifically uh, Levy and Domingo are on a hundred, mm-hmm. like yelling at, the, Levy yells at uh-huh. uh, litigants like he's out of his mind. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of screaming. In this the one thing. I relate to the most is um, Domingo. <laughs> Because she just seems like a crusty old lady. She, because she is. She's and everything funny. she says, I'm like, you right, you right. Mm, yeah. Uh, Acker is beautiful, and when I close my eyes, to me, she sounds like Aisha Tyler. Yeah, Tanya Acker is gorgeous, and she's the most, uh, I think, like reason. Well, she's also the youngest, um, so she kind of knows. There, there's one episode with. Uh, <laughs> Where she lets some of her inner youth come out because she's like, "Well, we not gonna do is blah blah." blah. <laughs> but no, Wait, she's very professional, very knowledgeable. There was some young girl in front of her. She's like, "You don't need to tell me how social media works." <laughs> okay, <laughs> but I really enjoyed this show. And then, um, so Cassandra Britt is one of the court bailiffs. <laughs> And if you're out there, Cassandra, I just, her face makes me smile. Oh, yeah. She reacts to. Uh... Because she doesn't ever say anything. It's the male bailiff who's always sort of like, because he's the one who says, like, now presiding, you can mm-hmm. have a seat, blah, blah, blah. You're under oath. He, he does all the talking. But Cassandra Britt is just on the other side of the judge's bench with her finger waves and her nice little smile. She just looks so. <laughs> well, she gives I just looks. love that she's there, but she does serve looks. She's giving like and head shaking. Sissy Houston behind Aretha Franklin. And uh, if her microphone was hot, I bet we'd hear a lot of like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> and I, and yeah, oh, if she's out there, I just, I would love to have coffee with her. She also seems like she'd be a good cook. But oh, okay. Yeah, I like her. All right, films released we didn't cover. Oh, okay. Well, do you have anything else you want to talk about? No, no, not hard. That show. Hard transition. Uh, Old Boy was re-released. Yes, which you've seen. Uh, we had a movie night for that many a moon Is ago. Is that a Korean film? Yeah, Park Chan-wook. South Korean? Yeah. Uh, it's like very action. Oh, yeah. that's. Don't you remember the scene where he eats that squid while it's alive? I don't. Okay. But I, it, we watched in anticipation of Spike Lee's remake. Okay. Which I didn't love. I, I think that Spike Lee's remake got a lot of hate. And I, and I don't love it, but it's fine. Uh, but the 
the original is great. Uh, it's part of the Revenge trilogy by Park Chan Wook. And you do you know I have not rewatched Sympathy for Mr. Vengeance or Lady Vengeance in so long. I that would be Lady Vengeance is so good. At one point, um, uh, the writer of the Departed script. I'm forgetting his name right now, but he was trying to develop that as a remake for Charlize Theron, which would have been great. But um, yeah, Lady Vengeance is a lot of fun. Anyway, old boy. I didn't uh, see any of the press screenings for it because I've watched this in the relative distant future, but it's a great film. You mean distant past? Distant past, yeah. yeah. Next. Time is on a continuum and um, it's not linear. Mm. <laughs> I'm 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 no Neil deGrasse Tyson, so I have no comment. The adults. Uh, I saw this in Berlin, and I liked just fine. If we we reviewed a lot of stuff this week, in a slow week, we probably would have fit this in. But uh, Michael Sarah and Hannah Gross, st- and uh, the the woman that played the girl that played Beverly from the It movies. Uh, God, I'm forgetting her name. But yeah, she, they play a bunch of siblings that have been estranged and get together and can have a, a very bizarre uh, relationship. Uh, that was interesting. I don't think it's a great film, but there were things I did like about it. Miguel Wants to Fight. Uh, directed by Oz Rodriguez, released on Hulu. Uh, it's coming-of-age comedy. That's all I know. The Monkey King. This is an animated Netflix film directed by Anthony Stachy. Uh, Bowen Yang does a voice. Um, and we didn't We didn't review it. Lastly, Simone, Woman of the Century. Okay, I like Elsa, Elsa Zilberstein, who is the star. She plays um, Simone Vale. It's a biopic. Uh, I thought this was going to be about Simone Biles, but whatever. No, Simone Vale is a former president of the European Parliament. Oh, good. Uh, but even that title suggests that, oh, I already know what this is going to be like. Also, it's directed by Olivier Dehaan, who... <laughs> Famously directed La Vie en Rose, which Marion Cotillard won an Oscar for playing Edith Piaf. But he also did a terrible Grace of Monaco with Nicole Kidman in 2014. I've uh, seen that, I think. And Parker Posey. <laughs> uh, Grace of Monaco is no good. But uh, I've also been meaning to rewatch. He did another movie with Isabelle Huppert in 2002 called La Vie Promise, uh, The Promised Life, where she plays a sex worker with uh, very blonde hair that I'd be interested to revisit. I've only seen it once that you're, I own it, but uh, anyway, this came out. What's the movie with the billboard I've been seeing with Helen Mirren? Golda, where she plays Israeli prime minister, Golda Meyer that opens next week, next week. And I saw that in Berlin. You have a project of interest. Oh, Soleil Mio. Yes. And I think that's a working title. I might've mentioned that. I, I can't remember. I knew Christopher Honore was working on a new project already after winter boy, was 2021 um he of course directed ma mare with isabel which we have a large poster of in our kitchen uh he has a new movie uh starring chiara mastroianni who's worked in many of his films daughter of Catherine deneuve deneuve is also on board who's he also worked with and melville Poupeau. uh yeah of course so that is something i will be excited to see great let's take a break when you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. 
Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Movies we watched for fun. New Rose Hotel. Okay. Oh, my God. Um, this is an Abel Ferrara film from 1998, uh, which I'd never seen. I was surprised as the ed, the opening credits in Spool that it's based on a short story by William Gibson, uh, which if I'd known that, I probably would have made a better point of seeing this years ago. But uh, and, and apparently Catherine Bigelow had wanted to make this short story into a film years ago as well. Anyway, but uh, Christopher Walken and Willem Dafoe play Tokyo-based corporate extraction specialists. Oh, God. And they are trying to... Um, what's that movie we just watched, Blackberry? Uh, they're, they're trying to make like, headhunt these scientists uh, and move them between corporations. But the competitors, the competing corporations... Uh, are, are are really down to murder people uh so they hire this uh shinjuku girl a prostitute uh, a hustler if you will played by azia argento to kind of convince the mark that they want to move to this other corporation hiroshi i think his name is who i barely remember from the film and i just watched it uh but willem dafoe is in love with her christopher walken kills himself i don't know why there are so many things that are so incoherent, like a lot of later period Ferrara films. But I do like the vibe of it, but I can't say I, I liked this film. I, you know, Ozzy Argento is pretty young here, 98. But watching Christopher Walken and Willem Dafoe is a lot of fun. The Tenant. Um, so this week, the, we're about to hear a, a bunch of thoughts on previous Roman Polanski and Woody Allen films. So uh, trigger warning. Uh, but I'm, I'm catching up and rewatching a lot of stuff of theirs. Uh, I have only seen The Tenant once. It's part of his, it's the last segment of his apartment trilogy, which includes uh, Rosemary's Baby and Cul-de-Sac. Uh, oh, wait, is it Cul-de-Sac? No. Uh, my mind is blinking. Anyway, uh, The Tenant stars, co-stars Isabella Johnny, who I think is kind of wasted in it, but Polanski himself stars in this as a man who rents an apartment that somebody had just jumped out of and tried to kill themselves, <laughs> and then slowly he becomes that person who was a woman. Oh. <laughs> I've sent you that picture of him in drag. Oh, yes. Uh, it's odd. I don't know that it's entirely successful, especially compared to something like Rosemary's Baby, but I think it's a lot of fun. I really enjoy it. You watched something called Never Back Down? Oh, you were in the room. Oh. Directed by Jeff Wadlow. What is it about? Starring Amber Heard and Amber Heard. Evan Peters and Cam Gingande. Oh, and it's like a it's it, it's like if Honey met uh Fight Club. Fight Club or um what's that Jean Claude Jean Claude Van Damme? Didn't he have a series of movies where he's fighting? Kickboxing. It's yeah, called Kickboxing. Street Fighter, no. uh Bloodsport. It's a blood sport I'm thinking. It anyway, continue. Never back down. Oh my God, this was trash. This was pure, straight trash, hokum. And there's a series. I, Michael Jai White took over as director for the second one, maybe the third one. I think there are four of these fucking movies. Oh no, I was thinking of Kickboxer. He did oh, a movie okay. in 1989 called Kickboxing. I think I remember watching that in a hotel room with my dad in Roseville, Minnesota. Never back down was hard to sit through. Yep. Uh, and it's looking like watching these people like Amber Heard. And so Evan I Peter. didn't finish it. Amber Heard and Evan Peters, like, what was appealing about them that made people keep hiring them, I guess? But uh, I did not enjoy this. But since I'd started it, I finished it. We watched Elvira's Haunted Hills. Directed by Sam Irvin. Oh, 
Yeah, we had a friend. <laughs> we, had, we had a friend over. I made um, ricotta kale fried tacos because I was told that uh, this friend wanted to watch Star Booty starring RuPaul, and that's a reference to CBT Cracker Barrel Taco. Taco. Uh, so I. <laughs> but at the last minute, we switched to Elvira's Haunted Hills. Mm-hmm. The story, spooky hijinks abound when Elvira finds herself spending the night in a mysterious castle en route to 1851 Paris. You know, I really like her 1980-whatever, 88 movie called Elvira, Mistress of the Dark. But this just didn't, it lacked. It's pretty dull. It's 13 years later, so this was 2001. And it does not feel like 2001. No, and, you know, I'm, I'm sure it was, they had to really work hard to get this produced. But they have one set, it would appear, that's yeah. this castle. And it just doesn't. Also, like the vampire who's played by Riff Raff, Richard, Richard O'Brien. I didn't even get, I don't know. He it, didn't have much to do. You know, I was thinking Elvira. So obviously, uh, Cassandra Peterson is funny, but her brand of humor combined with her aesthetic, I think, only works in a very specific way. Mm-hmm. I don't know that having so much of the film. Because Elvira, Mistress of the Dark worked because there were a lot of supporting characters. Like, I can remember other characters in that movie and other, like, the bad guy who's, like, the the wizard, the warlord, and the lady with the fake big breast. And there were a lot of gags in it that I think um, punctuate. Well, actually, I think Elvira punctuates that story well. Mm -hmm. But in this one, it's just a lot of her running up and down these stairs in this one set, and it it was really dry. <laughs> Unfortunately. It was. it was, but hey, I saw it. You watched Rampage? Yeah, this is one of the few uh William Friedkin films I'd never seen. It's from nineteen eighty seven, starring Michael Dean as a Dean. Michael Bean as a district attorney in Stockton. Uh that Shout out to Stockton. I have an uncle who lives out there. I have a friend that lives there too, an old coworker. Um about this man. It's based on the true story. That of the man they called the Vampire of Sacramento, but so they moved, they changed the name and moved this to Stockton, and said it a decade after these murders actually happened. This man went on a rampage and killed and ate a couple of women. Um, oh, like uh, ate them like like drank their blood. Cannibal. Oh, okay. yeah, he like he's cannibal, <laughs> not cunnilingus. Cannibalization. Okay. Uh, and it's a little hokey in some parts. Uh, the killer uh, is played by Nicholas Campbell. Oh, sorry, no. Nicholas Campbell is Nicholas Campbell plays the killer's lawyer, uh, the defense attorney who we just saw in the dead zone being a serial killer. Anyway, uh, how many Nicholases can I think of? Nicholas Winden Winden Refn. Oh yeah, that's that's who you pulled out. Nicholas Rogue. Yeah, that's an awesome director. Yeah. Um, there is an actor named Nicholas Bell. He's Australian. Yeah. Um, Nicholas Cage. Uh huh. That's about it. Okay. Can you think of another? There are more. I my wasn't my mind wasn't on that track right now. But um, the killer in Rampage is played by a man you should recognize named Alex MacArthur, uh, who's in the Papa Don't Preach music video with Madonna. Because when we rewatched, who plays her father? Ki- no, or he plays young, the love interest, young handsome man. By oh. at that point, uh, we because we rewatched Kiss the Girls, and you're like, who you recognize him from that? Oh. I thought, and uh, Deborah Van Valkenburg from I believe Walter Hill's The Warriors plays michael bean's wife but there's a scene his, his uh 
the DA, the the district attorney's um, family trauma that he has in the background is that his child died, this little girl. And they show, she, I don't know what kind of accident she was in, but she's on life support. She's, they're resuscitating her. They're bringing her like, cause she's about to flatline. And the husband and wife are looking over her anxiously while they, you know, get her back into shape. And the doctor's like, okay, we've, we brought her heart back to life, but there's brain damage. This is all in one scene. The, hus the husband and wife are clutching each other and the doctor's like, I need you to make a decision about whether to take her off of life support. It's like, damn, like you can't give her a day. You can't give it a minute. And they take, they kill, they, they decide to pull the plug right there. <laughs> I mean, they, they were like, uh, we, they just resuscitated her and the, she has brain death. They're not going to, we can't give it a minute. Okay. Don't give me a minute. You can go ahead and make the decision. Well, they were, <laughs> I was kind of shocked. <laughs> I don't need a minute. Oh. Yeah, you don't need a minute either. Are you saying you want me to give it a minute? Give it a minute. Jesus. <sighs> Always wasting time. Okay, next you watched Owners. Yeah, I was supposed to review this, but uh, it's a 2019 Czech film that just released this week. Oh. Uh, <laughs> I mean, you know, who's checking for it? Who Get it, pun intended, who's checking? Uh, it it was kind of a grueling effort. It feels kind of You've like offended an entire nation <laughs> with love, with great love and respect. Uh, it's about a group of people like an HOA getting together, talking about uh, how they need to spend the money for on the, this apartment building they all live in. And it's a bunch of horrible, terrible, homophobic people. Oh, uh, God. So it was entertaining, but in an uncomfortable way. Uh, and I ended up just hating all the people in it and wishing they would, that the, the building would fall in on them, which would have been fine with me. It it, it gets a little OTT, um, which it feels for the first maybe 45 minutes pretty strong. And then it's just like, okay, we're, I, th I think that we're spinning our wheels with being stuck with these people for too long. Uh, but it was, I'll say it was worth a watch. The Kane Mutiny Court Martial. Uh, William Friedkin has directed the, a remake of this, which I'm about to see. So in anticipation, I watched Robert Altman's television version um, from 1988 with Jeff Daniels as the uh, man on trial. Uh, Eric Bogosian is his lawyer. And uh, on the stand in the Humphrey Bogart role is Brad Davis. And I think everybody's fine enough in this except for Brad Davis. He's going again way ott uh trying to match that bogart energy of this this impossible uh man but uh i i can't say this is robert Altman's shining hour so i'm, I'm curious to see what freakin does especially because you know freakin uh in the late 90s i believe remade for television 12 angry men as well streetwalker oh my god this was such a treat uh because i posted a couple that uh, there are so many great lines of dialogue in this uh, it's directed by one of the first uh, Mexican women to direct films, Matilda Landetta. It's from 1951. And it reminded me a lot of Kareem Anuz's Invisible Life, as well as something like Whatever Happened to Baby Jane. It's about two sisters, one who become, and um, it, like the blonde and the brunette. The blonde has this older lover who chooses the brunette and runs off with her, but then he beats her and abandons her, and the brunette becomes a, a 
sex worker. The sister is horribly upset about this and ends up being marrying this rich older man, uh, but falls in love with a younger one and is going to run away with him, but gets but but gets caught up. Uh, she's very cruel to her sister that has become a sex worker uh, and kind of revels in the fact that she's a fallen woman. It, I would, I loved it. It's playing on Mubi. Uh, if, oh. if you uh, have a moment, this is something. And you, I, I, I guess I'm always fascinated by how <clears throat> sex workers are performed on screen. I always have been. Um, it, this is definitely worth a watch, especially from the perspective of a woman. Uh, yeah, I really liked it. When I think about Streetwalker, I think uh, Michael Jackson's Bad album, when it was re-released in the early 2000s, there was a bonus track called Streetwalker. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> Do you... Did, there were there were so many good lines in this movie. Like, look how nasty you look. Oh, well, next, frantic. Uh, Polanski's nineteen eighty eight film starring Harrison Ford and where he met his uh, wife that he's still married to, Emmanuel Seigneur. I did. I saw this once with my dad, and I still I watched the DVD I had from years and years ago, and. I didn't realize that Harrison Ford's wife in it is Betty Buckley. Anyway, it's about this uh, man, this doctor, much like he is in The Fugitive, uh, arrives in Paris and his wife disappears from their hotel room and he's trying to track her down. Um, I think it looks great. I didn't, I, I, as a child watching it, did not realize that Grace Jones play, uh, is pre frequented on the soundtrack so heavily. Uh, that's the movie I was watching where you're like, well, you keep singing down there. Uh, yeah, you were. I felt like I was in a fever dream because <laughs> I'm trying to work, and all I hear is like <laughs> singing Grace Jones. <laughs> um, and I didn't even realize I was doing it. I just, it, it, I guess, I was in a fever dream myself. But the, it's it's a fine enough movie. Um, yeah. The Oxbow Incident. Uh, reading Isabel Wilkerson's uh, cast, she had referenced this Henry Fonda movie, and I'd never seen it. It's hour, only an hour and 15 minutes, so I watched this the other night. Directed by William Wellman, who's probably still best known for uh, the original A Star is Born. Uh, I also direct, watched uh, Goodbye, My Lady recently from him. Uh, but this is about... Uh, uh, three men that uh, are accused of murdering a farmer and the posse that decides to lynch them. So, of course, these white men, much like in Fritz Lang's uh, Fury, these white men that are about to be lynched, well, mostly white, uh, are standing in for what's happening to black people in the country. But, you know, uh, Anthony Quinn is one of the men. Uh, so he, he's the non-white one. Uh, but so is Dana Andrews, who I used to think... I remember when I was a kid watching Dana Andrews thinking he's so handsome and he's very young in this and very handsome. Um, and it's very tragic because who? Dana Andrews, who you've seen, I made, I made you watch Night of the Demon. Night of the Demon. I had a movie night for that years and years ago. And you also seen when this is it when the city sleeps, uh, Fritz Lang film with Ida Lupino. Uh, yeah. Big fan. Anyway, Henry Fonda is the trying to be the voice of reason. Um, it's obviously a very depressing film uh henry fonda and dana andrews would later in that decade because this movie was 43 they'd both play opposite joan crawford in daisy Kenyon. that's the one where that's the movie where she demanded the movie set be so cold that they were wore long johns on set or she she gifted them long johns because they were complaining it was so cold on set <clears throat> because of her uh another interesting story about the oxbow incident um sigourney weaver 
was a can in about the time she did death and the maiden and she had a meeting with clint eastwood he was meeting her for consideration to start in the uh the bridges of madison county and she tells a story i think this was in a mirabella magazine interview circa 2000 2001 about how he said oh i brought the oxbow incident to can as uh, as a restored classic and she's like oh you remade that and he got so offended that she didn't realize he she was talking about the original 1943 hmm. you watched pirates <clears throat> this movie's hard to find a decent copy of but yes this is uh a labor of love from Polanski that was a big swing and a big misfire. It's terrible. It's a pirate movie starring Walter Matthau. Um, and uh, also a story about um, um, an extended story about a mutiny that I thought was super dull. Walter Matthau is a lot of fun, but this this was no good. And Polanski had been trying to make it since the 70s before uh, his trouble with statutory rape. And he finally got it made. It was like twenty million over budget or something like that, and lost a ton of money. It's, it's not good. Next, you watched the Night Porter. Yes, uh, in anticipation of Liliana Cavani's new film in Venice. Uh, I've only seen the Night Porter once, years and years ago. I remember buying the Criterion um, and being fascinated by that. This is probably the by awakening to Charlotte Rampling was when I first saw this film. It's, I think Cavani is trying to be not sensationalize material that is very sensational, uh, but it's Dirk Bogard as the night porter and Charlotte Rampling, and it's set in 1957 Vienna, and she's a Holocaust survivor, and she goes into this hotel with her husband, and she sees the night porter and realizes that this is the SS guard who she had a very traumatic S&M relationship with because he abused the hell out of her and they recreate that relationship lickety split <laughs> it's alarming but the catalyst for the story is the other uh, SS uh, people hiding out like his Dirk Bogard's old cohorts that are still evading capture uh, realize that if she talks it she it could lead to them so they try to kill them and so they're they spend a majority of the second half of the film holed up in uh his apartment building and she has disappeared from her current uh relationship who's also looking for her it the psychology of those characters and why they do that is so fascinating and and scary and sad and i i, I don't know i just i think it's a very interesting film Sweet and Low Down. This is a Woody Allen film uh, from 1999 I'd never seen. And it stars Sean Penn and Samantha Morton, both who were Oscar nominated, set in the 1930s. Uh, Sean Penn is this guitarist named Emmett Ray, who's apparently, who, who's credited as the second most notable guitarist of the period after Django Reinhardt, who was a real person. And he falls in love with this mute girl, Samantha Morton, but then ends up marrying Uma Thurman. Uh, I think I had high expectations for it because I clearly remember the marketing for this film in 1999 and remember the Oscar buzz. This was considered, you know, Woody Allen would go through these periods of having a bunch of misfires and then it's like the public wanted to uh, just pounce on something to love for him. I felt the same way about Midnight in Paris in 2011. Like, this is what people are going gaga over. Uh, it was okay. 
Small time crooks. This I preferred much more. And this is the year after. This is 2000. Woody Allen stars in it. Tracy Ullman in, in a Golden Globe nominated performance. Uh, Tracy Ullman is pretty good in this. But the the Shining Hour goes to a fantastic Elaine May. And the, the third act um, climax of this film where Woody Allen's trying to steal a necklace from Elaine Stritch, who was in his earlier film, September, which I also really like, uh, is pretty. Elaine May is so good in this. <laughs> But yeah, it's worth a watch. You watched something called McBain. McBain, directed by Jake Glickenhaus uh, from 1991. It's it's terrible. It's boring and terrible. But it's also kind of entertaining because it stars Christopher Walken as this ex-Vietnam veteran slash mercenary who's called into Columbia from the sister of his slain cohort to try to help uh, a coup take place and maria conchito alonso co-stars it's you watched a little bit of it and fell right asleep but it it's bad well because i thought it would be fun based on the the uh blu-ray art uh, work and then um and christopher walken is fun but i don't i the opening was like oh this is gonna be like white fire and then yeah but then when as soon as we meet Maria Conchita Alonso and it's like, oh, she is taking this very seriously, yes. then I knew we were in trouble. And then it, I was so distracted because it was shot. It was, to me, it's clearly shot in the Philippines. And it's supposed but to it's be supposed to be Guatemala? Colombia. Oh, Colombia. I'm sorry. Yeah. I'm like, this doesn't seem right, but okay. Also, Maria Conchita Alonso is not uh, Colombian, but okay. Lastly, I watched Jim Gaffigan's new comedy special, Dark Pale. Which I caught the last 10 minutes of. It was okay. Yeah. So I've liked Jim Gaffigan since I moved to Minnesota, uh, which was like 20 years ago. That's when I discovered him. Mm-hmm. Um, he's had better work, but it was cute. The one thing I thought watching it is it's been really fun watching him kind of, because when I first discovered him, his work was very like, like milk, to- like very family friendly, like he doesn't curse he doesn't do adult things and slowly over the years he's gotten a little more saucy adult and saucy and dark Mm -hmm. so this one definitely felt um darker well having five kids will do that to you but what it made me think is um it's so odd hearing people talk about like how having kids is like i mean they describe it like it's like the pits Mm -hmm. but then of course they love their children and i always think like really i mean the way I mean, I know a lot of people with children who the way they talk about them, because you have two sides, the ones who just love, love, love being a parent, and that's all they want to talk about. And then the ones who talk about their kids like they're a nuisance. Like they're part of the tethered now. Yeah. But why did you have this baby? And then why did you have more? And then like he has five kids. So after the second one, you thought, oh, let me keep doing this. I don't know. I think that's weird. But And then it's like, I don't want to hear about you making these five children and now you act like you almost regret it using up all these resources and <laughs> too late now deal with it. But moving on, unfortunately there is an entry in the obituary section. Ron Cephas Jones died at the age of 66. Yeah. People probably know him best from the TV series. This is us. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, what do you know him from? Uh, well, he's kind of, well, he's kind of a character actor. So he popped up in a ton of stuff. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to think, though. He's in Dolomite. Is, uh, He's in Dolomite my is name. my name. That's right. Yeah. yeah. Um, and The Get Down. Yes, with Yolanda Ross is in that, too. 
Well, goodbye to this man. Uh, we need to take another break. You had another comment about Ron Cephas Jones. Well, yeah, he's in Sweet and Low Down. Do I know that one? I just talked about it with oh. Woody Allen. Oh. The, the Django Reinhardt era 1930s film with Sean Penn and Samantha Morton. Uh, and it's also, you know, Woody is always accused of not having any black people in his films. There are quite a few black people on the sidelines in this, which is usually there's only one or two you can see uh, on the periphery. <laughs> but uh, he's also, I just saw him in Paid in Full recently. Mm -hmm. And his daughter uh, is an actor and she's in the new Ava DuVernay. Yep. Uh, and another thing I wanted to, uh, I, I guess it's appropriate for part of the obits. Uh, I learned this week uh, in a recent interview with Sigourney Weaver that she could have been in, in Get Out, although she doesn't say it in so many words. She would have been the Catherine Keener role. Oh, interesting. All right. This week's secret film was your choice, and you chose the 2005 psychological thriller Match Point, written and directed by Woody Allen. Mm -hmm. Why did you choose this film? Uh, because it is his new film uh, in French, uh, Coup de Chance, is being compared to Match Point, which I think is funny because when Match Point came out, and I haven't seen it since 2005, uh, the conversation was that this film is compared to his earlier film, Crimes and Misdemeanors, which you've also seen. The story, at a turning point in his life, a former tennis pro falls for an actress who happens to be dating his friend and soon-to-be brother-in-law. That's pretty vague. So Jonathan Reese Myers is this guy who shows up at this like elite country club in uh, London, and he gets hired to be a tennis instructor. And his resume is very impressive. Um, they hire him on the spot, and immediately he starts working with Matthew Good. And Matthew Good is a super wealthy guy. His dad is like Brian Cox in Succession, mm -hmm. who's actually played by Brian Cox in this movie, mm -hmm. <laughs> except he's nice. Um, but uh, so they're super wealthy. Matthew Good and Jonathan Reese Myers hit it off immediately as like their best friends. Mm -hmm. So they start hanging out outside of the country club. And that's when Jonathan Reese Myers meets Matthew Good's sister, played by Emily Mortimer. Mm -hmm. And she the reason they meet is because she sees him and she thinks he's hot. So they start dating during that time. Matthew good is dating Scarlett Johansson. And then it turns out Jonathan Reese Myers, like Scarlett Johansson, like they have more of a, I guess you would say natural attraction. I don't really see it, but um, we uh -huh. can get to that. So Matthew good ends up breaking up with Scarlett Johansson and Jonathan Reese Myers ends up marrying Emily Mortimer. So now he's part of this wealthy family. Brian Cox gets him a job and he works his way up to being like a successful businessman doing businessman things. But it's clear Emily Mortimer's primary objective is to get pregnant and she wants three children right now. Mm -hmm. So we need to get to work, but she's not getting pregnant and it's clear that he is like not into her the way she's into him. And one day, because after Matthew Good breaks up with Scarlett Johansson, she's out of the picture. And then it turns out she left to move back to Colorado, where she's from. Mm -hmm. But then for some reason came back to London to pursue her acting career, even though no one was checking for her. And every audition she went on was a bust. <laughs> so Jonathan Reese Myers bumps into her one day at the museum. And he is like begging her, please give me your phone number. I need to see you. Like I, like he's just like rabid for her again. I don't see why, but 
they spark up like an, like an affair and he's juggling his marriage and career with this woman who he's like madly in love with, I guess. And while he can't get his wife pregnant, he ends up getting Scarlett Johansson pregnant. Nola. Mm-hmm. And that's when she really gets crazy. She just is like calling him and telling him he needs to fix it. We find out that she had already had two abortions, mm-hmm. one with, with Matthew Good. So yeah. she's like, I'm not having another one. So I'm having this baby and you need to do the right thing. And she's basically like, I mean, it's like a fatal attraction light. Yeah. <laughs> and at that point, I'm thinking like, God, he should just kill her. He, Joseph, so I didn't tell Joseph anything about this movie. And he's like, he made that comment. I'm like, oh my God. <laughs> well, guess what Jonathan Reese Myers does? He kills her. <laughs> he sets it up like a, because she lives what we're told is like the bad part of town i don't think woody allen uh knows what the bad part of town looks like but uh she lives in the bad part of town in this apartment building so uh jonathan reese myers sets it up that so it looks like the apartment manager was burglarized and killed and then that scarlett johansson was kind of like an innocent bystander that's mrs eastby that's played by margaret tyzak who kubrick liked she's in uh she has bit roles in 2001 space odyssey and a clockwork orange so jonathan reese myers kills that old lady apartment manager and scarlett johansson so of course like the the shotgun he shoots them with a shotgun so the last 20 minutes of the film are like okay is he going to get caught there are these two detectives working the case initially they think it's just a drug-related thing because of how jonathan reese myers set it up but then one of the detectives is like i think something's fishy because they find out that well, they find Scarlett Johansson's journal mm-hmm. and she had Jonathan Reese Myers all up and through there talking about how they had an illicit affair. Mm-hmm. So of course they suspect him. He begs them, please, I don't need my family knowing that I was having an affair. And then one morning or like in the middle of the night, we see the one detective wake up from a dream saying, Chris Wilton did it, mm-hmm. Jonathan Reese Myers character. So he comes into work to tell his partner. And the partner's like, that's all good that you had that dream, but we caught the killer. There was another shooting this morning, and that person had that old lady's wedding ring on him. So we know it was him. Mm-hmm. Because we, Jonathan Reese Myers disposed of the uh, jewelry that he, he stole in, in the river. Uh, but, we, but of course, the detectives don't know that. So then it's an open and shut case, and we see that a year has passed because now during this period of the affair, um, like right when he kills Scarlett Johansson, he gets Emily Mortimer pregnant. So we flash forward a year and see that she's had the baby. He's not in jail. So he obviously got away with it. The end. Mm-hmm. Um, this is a really interesting movie. I did like it. It does feel like if you took um, one of those erotic thrillers from the 90s, but you took out the erotic part and the thrilling part and then let Woody Allen do it. <laughs> It, it it it's a I, I mean i guess it's a psychological thriller but it's like it, it it's a very odd bird it definitely is it, it it's especially even in woody allen's uh filmography it doesn't feel like him until so anytime the characters get a little bit more than a few lines that's when it feels like woody allen and mm-hmm. i think those are the weaker parts of the movie specifically with scarlett johansson well she was supposed to be kate winslet uh who who backed out to deal with family matters and so then he uh 
you know, cast Scarlet. And I, I guess we wrote this character being from Colorado. And then of course, Scarlet was his brief muse because he also did Scoop with her right after this. And these are the, those are the only two films he had shot by Remy uh, at a Ferrison. And you can, even the look of this film doesn't feel like Woody to me. Just to go, go through my notes. First off, for some reason, I just don't care for Scarlett Johansson in anything. Um, even in Marriage Story, I was like, I can't stand her ass either. And in this movie, I could stand her. And then the mom, Matthew Good and Emily Mortimer's mom. Penelope Wilson. She also doesn't like Scarlett because she's this like white girl from Colorado, like a, like an American girl who is not from like a wealthy family. And she's just here trying to be an actor, but can't book anything. And the mom just thinks she's like, a waste of time. A waste of time. Mm -hmm. But they like Jonathan Reese Myers. They know that he's not for money either, but they like that he's well mannered, he's well read. Um, and they feel like the connection he has with their daughter is more significant than the connection Matthew Good has with her. I just didn't, I don't know. I don't know what bothers me about her. I think it's like when I first realized who she was, and everyone's like, she's the most beautiful. And to me, it's like, I mean, she's all right, but. Well, you know, you can't. Like all these young white girls, I think Reese Witherspoon suffered from the same thing is like the way people talk about them and, and hold them to this higher standard where it's like, well, they're just, I, yeah. You're, you're, she is beautiful. I, I think the problem in this story is that I don't, I don't feel the connection Jonathan Reese Myers has to her character. Like I like I just don't see what about her. I think drove it's him mad. The idea of her, um, because the subtext that Woody gives us is Dostoevsky, particularly crime and punishment, and you know that character of Raskolnikov who commits a murder because he he essentially believes he's above the law. And I think that uh, Chris Wilton is a character who it's front. What's tantalizing to him is he's so close yet so far away to having all the things he thinks he deserves. And, and that's why he's acting the way he does. I think for Nola, it, I don't think she loves this person. I think she sees a way to get back at being jilted by the Matthew Good character and this family. Yeah. I mean, that's why I think it's interesting because immediately I was like, Oh, Jonathan Reese Myers is a con artist. Like immediately. Cause I'm like, he's trying to work at this elite country club when he meets his first customer and they kind of hit it off. He's, I mean, at least like four times in the first like 15 minutes, we see him interacting with the family. He's being very insistent that he pay for things, which to me is like a red flag that like you're trying to wiggle your way in. Mm -hmm. But then he really doesn't come across as like the biggest opportunist. So I thought that was interesting because it's, it, it's almost kind of like, he seems like he did want to be happy in this situation. Like he wasn't just trying to use them. And then at one point, he doesn't really seem to have any friends, but he bumps into an old acquaintance he used to play tennis with. And he tells the guy, like, I don't know who else I can talk to, but I need to talk about this. And then he's saying, like, how he's having an affair and he feels pressure because he's created this life for himself. And I don't know, that character felt very honest, mm -hmm. which was interesting because most movies like this, that, that character would seem so clearly like a like like a parasite mm -hmm. or a predator but there are you know when he's first introduced to having a job in cox's uh corporation it's like an entry-level thing and he's kind of dismayed about it talking to emily mortimer well and he's being very honest too he's, like, he's being honest but it's just like you got i mean if i were her i would have been like look do you want to work towards something or you think you think i should just be 
give you CEO? Like, come on now. Well, but I kind of thought that it made sense how she was acting because her attitude towards everything is like, oh, well, daddy takes care of everything and he likes taking care of things. I also like that this family seemed, you know, for their pedigree, they seemed pretty cool. Like they weren't extra bougie and they weren't extra judgmental because it's like Scarlett or Matthew Good and Emily Mortimer's mom she is judgmental of Scarlett, but like outside of that, her and Brian Cox seem like pretty nice people. Mm -hmm. So this film doesn't follow all the tropes of a story like this. Well, the one that's bringing money the most is Jonathan Reese Myers. Especially yeah. at the beginning where it's like, can I pay for that? I'm paying for that. I'm going to pay for that. And he's frugal kind of mm -hmm. like, he doesn't seem to want for much. We actually don't. The only time we see him shopping is like, he wants one sweater and then he's talking about cashmere and the other lady or Scarlett Johansson's like, Oh no. The we, Cuna. Yeah. Like we like, like, let me upgrade you. We don't, or when they're at the restaurant he orders chicken. Yeah. So, like, Oh no, get the caviar blinis. So I really actually like that his character as the audience, I felt sort of like unsure of, like, I didn't, I didn't think he was like a user. He has guilt too, because he talks to this, you know, He's fantasizing talking about the women he killed and trying, At the end, and yeah. trying to explain it about how their collateral damage, like the, especially the um, the older woman. And she's like, what about me? What sense did it make to kill me? He talked about how she's collateral damage in a larger scheme. Like, yeah, at that point, he seems like a monster, obviously, because he killed these two people for no reason. But um, just going through my notes. So when S Scarlett and Jonathan Reese Myers start having their little affair, like while she's still with Matthew Good and he's not yet married to Emily Mortimer. So I was like, why would these two do this before they secure the bag? Like, I don't know well, right. why you would, <laughs> why you would risk like throwing all this away. If, if I mean, if, if, if that was your motive to marry into this wealthy family, y'all need to stop playing these games until you get that marriage certificate. Uh, Scarlett Johansson's character stayed smoking those damn cigarettes, oh, yeah. which is so gross. And then like she's smoking them while she's all hugged up on Matthew Good. Mm -hmm. And then now that she's with Jonathan having this affair and they're in bed and she's smoking those cigarettes like, ugh. Um, okay. The sex between just the sex period. We see Jonathan having sex with Emily once and it's very like missionary style under the covers. We never see him having sex with Scarlett Johansson. They do have like this light, almost like bondage scene but all it is is like we see that she's taken his tie off wrapped it around his eyes and then she's unbuttoned his shirt and then we cut to the next scene so i was very like that lended to why i didn't feel the connection between the two of them like there's no this movie is not erotic uh in any way yeah i would i would agree with that but uh that's all, to me that's yeah. also interesting too it is but it's it's yeah. almost clinical like uh they're under a they're being dissected when I was waiting for Scarlett Johansson's character to realize no one wants her to act. No one is you move back to Colorado, come back to London. They still don't want you. Who, to, like, who told you that they want you here to act in London? Why are you here, girl? Yeah. The dialogue feels Woody Allen at times when people have more than like six words to say. Sure. Cause then they're like, kind of like pontificating about these things that are, it just feels so inauthentic mm -hmm. and that kind of took me out at times um i find woody interesting when he's being serious um my, one of my favorites of his uh is 
interiors, which is a, it's a, a drama, no comedy in that at all. The suspense aspect of the film really kicked in when Scarlett finds out she's pregnant and mm-hmm. then she starts calling Jonathan like, at the house, at the house at work. At and then the, I was like, well, and that's when I said, well, he just has to kill at her. the in-laws house. Like, He's just going to have to kill yeah. her. <laughs> but also Emily Mortimer is frustrating too. Cause like, I gotta have a baby. Let's have morning sex. We gotta have this kid. It's like, Oh my God. Uh, I thought she was effective, like that character in showing like she's also using this man. Mm Because at first you're thinking like, God, yeah, he's attractive, but I mean, he doesn't seem that like. He's also easy to control because he's uh, there's this social hierarchy he'll never get away from. Right. And so she's not stupid. She knows that like she's allowing him access to this thing. And his 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 obligation is you need to get me pregnant three times. Yep. So and, and it, you need to stay keep uh, toe the line. He, it, it it was very annoying hearing her like talking about like you like have sex with me right now, and it's like oh, or because he gets the shotgun from Brian Cox's basement, and every time he goes down there, he not immediately does he leave the room. And they're like, "Where's Chris? Chris? She's Chris, calling for him. Chris, she's calling Chris? for him. Jesus Christ! Yeah, uh, that scene where he's trying to." Uh, he's trying to get the gun and then when he does get it it's in his tennis bag and then his wife's gonna dig in his bag and i thought it was also well done that she kind of i got the sense that she knew something wasn't quite right she knows but it's also like really all i need you for is to get me pregnant Mm -hmm. do whatever you do i don't give a shit i just want a baby so i thought that was well done Mm -hmm. like she it was perfectly calibrated like she knows what she wants and as long as he does what she wants him to do She's fine. But yeah, that scene where she's digging through his tennis bag and he's like, wait, wait, wait. I'll like, she was looking for like her polo shirt and then a bullet for the shotgun falls out. And you know, those bullets are big. Mm-hmm. And so he grabs it discreetly and puts it in his pocket. And she goes, wait, what did you just put in your pocket? My pill box. What pills are you taking? Let me see. Let me see. And she's kind of being funny, like mm-hmm. playing with him. And he's like, well, you know, you stressed me out. I need something to relax. And then she like, he disarms her by saying, I bought you theater tickets. But it's like, you know when your partner's on some bullshit and it's just like, I just, whatever. Like, that's kind of my attitude about a lot of things. Like, uh-huh. I, like well, because that's how I feel. Like, if you suspect something, then, then, it, then, then it's real. So then you need to decide how you want to deal with it. Either you're going to attack it head on and, or, or, or not. And so I feel like that was a really good demonstration of her being like, I'm not going to dig. I don't give a damn. Like, whatever pills you're on, I don't care. (laughs) When they walk into that fancy loft that they move out to the The view. My God. What do I have to do to get a view like that? Who do I have to kill? (laughs) Well, not me. That's not going to get you that view. Eh, Well, I mean, life insurance and... Oh, when well, he you shot, I hope I don't die in this hurricane. When today. he shot, why, why, why not? You just talked. He uh, on a podcast uh, right before his husband died. He talked about the view he of an apartment he wanted and his husband's life insurance policy. Don't you always say you want me to be happy? Not at the cost of my death or my life. Oh, so it comes with strings. No, but uh, my. Uh, I'm so glad the world can witness just how fake you are. You and that damn cat. <laughs> two peas in a pod i don't know that that is a healthy like my my 
the, the hypothetical situation is your happiness is dependent upon my death um he shot that poor old lady she was a sweet old lady and uh he just shot her i i felt bad okay the scene where he throws her jewelry so he puts he takes all of her medication and her jewelry to make it look like a drug addict stole yeah. like burglarized her and then he throws it all into the river like in broad daylight yeah and as he's throwing all her stuff into the river her wedding band doesn't quite make it into the water which mimics the opening line of the film and the tennis metaphor about the ball hitting the net and you know hanging your fate hanging in the balance my final note is um watching these super rich people because at the end when we see that emily mortimer had her baby and like all these super rich people talking about he like talking about the baby like he's gonna have such a great future and it's like hmm he's i wonder so why yeah. generational wealth maybe like <laughs> i thought that was like i mean it's kind of gross the, the way people talk about things like you know you're the only reason you have a lot of these things is because you're lucky well right and then and then her sidling up to him and being like i think the next one should be a girl it's like can we give it a minute can i get can we give it a minute but it's also creepy. You know, th this was a movie, because I rarely think I want to see a sequel, but this was a movie where I thought I would love to see where Chris Wilton is now. Because he, like, killed two people to prevent his secret being told. But then his life is also kind of, like, based on false pretenses. Well, it's funny you brought up, you during, like, the first 30 minutes of the film, you wanting it to seem like... And you haven't seen Anthony Minghella's version of The Talented Mr. Ripley, but this could... He really is kind of a... a tom ripley kind of character yeah i haven't seen uh the matthew matt damon uh, Anthony Minghella damon, director yeah. uh i like that version but there's elaine delon in purple noon uh bim benders as a ver there's a lot of great uh ripley versions Li liliana cavani speaking of which ripley's game what would you give this movie three and a half i would give it three and a half out of five uh what else do you have for us uh, well, this week, uh, we're basically going to be watching a bunch of stuff. So we have coverage for titles while I am at the Venice Film Festival because I leave a week from tomorrow. Um, yeah, there's, there's that. What about you? Just trying to survive. Uh-huh. Holding on by a, a, a thread. A slender thread starring Sidney Poitier and Anne Bancroft. I, it seems like you want to read us something. Oh, yes. I discovered a new poet this week. Okay. Uh, Zuzana Ginshanka, who was murdered by the Nazis, of course. Uh, so she only had one publication. I, I think it's called Of Centaurs. Um, but very depressing and impressive. Uh, but there's a poem I liked called Ascension of the Earth. Okay, please uh, go ahead. <clears throat> Pull down, tear down, crush clouds like a flabby cicatrix. Let the sun melt you, burn you with heat. Pull down, tear off your faces indifferently, hypocritical. Shriek your hatred rather cruelly. Spread out, destroy. Bite the world to a pulp. Unload yourself in vortices and swirl as whirlpools. All, everything suppressed in blood, bursts into foam. And tear up the rosary of prayers and weave in sincerity like a dance in the froth of the froth with what life has given you in your own fire. Burn yourselves and with your truth infect the globe. The fat earth is most fertile. It will whistle for eternity. We'll throw a tracker on the sun and begin to shake the stars. It will rage free, river, forest, and field. And in the fires of its own blood, fall down and worship to God, slavery, humility of love, the quietest, the simplest.
it was a quality moment. Oh, I, 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 yeah, it's just, I left stuffed out too soon. And then of course spent you know, the last bit of it in hiding and running around in Krakow. But anyhow, there we are. All done. Mm-hmm. Bye.